to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to episode 42 of the Life Lessons podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing fairly well. That's good. (laughs) Anything new going on? My brain just exploded with actually everything going on. So that pause was me like, what do I talk about? You got too much. Well, let's see. Last week, I told you guys I was going to get onto my workout kick, and I have rearranged my office, and I now have um, Jen can see my I can exercise by awesome. and my rower in here. So I have no excuses not to work out anymore. And then my husband went to the orthopedic surgeon tomorrow and there is a small possibility he doesn't have sur- to have surgery. So, so he's going to news. go tomorrow. No, he went. Did I say tomorrow? You said he went tomorrow. And I'm see? like, are we, did you get a time <laughs> machine for your office? <laughs> Wow. He went yesterday. Verb tense matters. <laughs> Goodness. He I went, was so confused. Oh, that's okay. Clearly, I'm confused. He went yesterday. Okay, to the that makes sense. Yeah. We're waiting. I think what I was thinking was we're waiting for his MRI to be scheduled, which they said should happen Is tomorrow. tomorrow. Now that makes more sense. <laughs> Hello, ADD brain. Well, I get it. Because your your mind is doing one thing and your mouth is doing another. That happens a lot. Yeah. We misspeak. Yeah, definitely. I saw pictures of your pool the other day and it looks beautiful. Oh, it is so cute. I love it. It's also, you remember when you were here, when we first moved in, how we had a crepe myrtle. Everybody never plant a crepe myrtle over a deck or a pool or anything like that because they just drop, drop, drop. It ruined our deck. One was over the deck, but one was over the pool and stuff kept falling in it. And you had to scoop it constantly, like constantly. Nothing falls in the pool now except, you know, maybe a pine straw from way over there. But it's so easy to clean it. Because it's a little bitty. I have a crepe myrtle over my patio, and I haven't trimmed it this year, so it's huge, and it's like dropping the little flowery yeah. things all over my patio. It's a mess, and well, then they get beautiful. trapped in the house. Yep, they're beautiful, and I love a crepe myrtle tree, but our old house had one over the deck, and it just, same thing. It looked like a pink carpet, but then it gets on the deck, and it sticks to it, and then also makes it rot sooner. So you just really, you know, have to be careful where you plant a crepe myrtle. Plant it over. I just took two out that were next to my driveway because it made a mess in my driveway constantly, and they would drop on my husband's truck. Yep, yep, and then they get they're sticky. They're sticky, yeah, they are yeah. sticky. They're you very can't get sticky. Them off. As beautiful as it was, it just it ruined the deck. So. We got painters here today. That's exciting. So we've been sitting here with nothing happening for a week and a half, but they're painting the little shed addition, and then they're going to paint all the little places on the house where they had to redo the cedar siding, and they're going to paint, you know, they're going to stain the ceiling of the screen porch, and the um, they had to do stucco work around the foundation of the house where, um, like, the old deck was, and they removed it. And anyway, so they have to paint all that. And then I think the next step is... The porch can be screened in. Nice. I know. It's You're not almost there. We're getting there. So I'm going to the beach today. We're recording this on Tuesday. I'm going to the beach on um, Sunday. I'm going to be there for three weeks. So hopefully while I'm gone, they will get stuff going. And hopefully my husband does not have surgery so I can come to the beach. I hope so, too. Yeah, because you're supposed to join me for <laughs> I mean, some of those days. my husband doesn't have surgery, but... I really if he need does, to go to the beach. Hopefully it's not scheduled for that beach time. Yeah. That's, <laughs> <laughs> so we always start our show with our good news segment. And today's comes from Shelly in Michigan. She said, this is a huge shout out to my neighbor, Julie. This morning I decided that I couldn't take the time for two trips to the car since I was running late for work. 
So I had my hands completely full and I used my pinky finger to grab my handbag off the garage door handle. Just one more little thing. Obviously, I couldn't open the car door with my hands so full, so I whipped my handbag up to the roof of the car and proceeded to pack everything I needed into the car. I'm sure you know where the story's going. I hopped in, backed up, left the garage. Unfortunately, my handbag remained on the roof of the car until I made a turn onto a very busy street in our town. I got to my meeting and noticed that I did not have my handbag. I must have left to the house. However, during my meeting, I heard my phone vibrate multiple times. It was my husband letting me know that some lady dropped off my handbag. He spoke to her for about 20 minutes and got all the details. What a kind and helpful person Julie is. She had to stop traffic to get my purse and gather items that had fallen out. Everything was returned. My license, my ATM card, my credit cards. It was truly a miracle. The story gets better, though. I recently read the book Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking by John A. Cuff, which is an excellent read. It's lighthearted, funny, self-help book that offers some really great information. And in the book, John encourages you to participate in a 30-day positive affirmation challenge, which I started a few days ago. This morning, the positive affirmation that really hit me was, everything is always working out for me. I said this into the mirror and really looked into my eyes when I said it. It just felt right this morning. And gosh, everything does work out for me. A kind person went out of her way to save my bag, took her time to find my home, and returned it. What could have been a huge hassle with the DMV and canceling cards and buying a new bag was all alleviated. I stopped by her house tonight with flowers, balloons, and an invitation for dinner. And after conversation with her, I believe I have made a new friend. Life is amazing. I love that so much. What a great story. It's good to know. Have you ever put anything on your roof of your car and driven away, Sherry? You know, I have done a lot of really absent-minded things, but... That is nothing I've ever done. All right. I was imagining you might have said yes to that. No, I am very scatterbrained and go, 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 go. Um, I have lost my purse many times at restaurants or at the my back house. of a bathroom door, Jen's house. From one room to the other. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all, listeners, y'all don't know this, but whenever Sherry's with me, she's always like, I have lost my sunglasses. Where are, and I'm like, you'll find them. <laughs> and then five minutes later, she's like, here they are. Yeah. <laughs> or my mascara or right. my shoes. There you go. <laughs> I went but to they visit always turn up. Eric's niece. I'd never met her before, and she's had a baby. I went to meet, meet her and her little baby the other night. And the next day, I went to go meet his other niece's new little baby, and I couldn't buy my shoes anywhere. And I'm like, where are my shoes? Where are my shoes? And I said, you know, I might have left him at Nikki's house. And he said, why would you leave your shoes at somebody's house? But I never wear shoes unless I'm going out and about. And it would be normal for me to kick off my shoes going into somebody's house. And then I drive barefoot all the time. So I don't have like have no idea. Like I'm like, oh, my gosh, am I going to have to go to your niece's house and get my shoes? But I found them. They were in my truck. (laughs) That's a weird thing about me. I do not drive with shoes on. That's weird. I do drive with shoes on always. (laughs) Well, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. And before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast, and I want to talk about Branch Basics. When doing the research for Cleanish, I realized how much I had been fooled by what's called greenwashing, and that's where companies use deceptive wording on their labels that makes you think their products are greener, but that's not always the case. Or maybe they're a little bit better, but still not like quite what you're looking for. When I was looking for the cleaning products I needed to replace what I had been using, my goal was to simplify my cleaning routine, you know, because Like I talked about this in Cleanish as well, but I was embarrassed at how many things I had under my cabinets. I mean, like, I can't remember the number, but it was insane. So I wanted to be, you know, simpler, but I also wanted to make sure I'm using products that are non-toxic and safe. So I am in love with Branch Basics because they meet all of my criteria. So when you order the starter kit, 
You get one bottle of concentrate and empty bottles for five different products, which are the all-purpose cleaner, the bathroom cleaner, the streak-free cleaner, the foaming wash, and the laundry detergent. Each has a slightly different recipe. You add the water and the concentrate following the fill lines right there on the different bottles. And one bottle of concentrate goes a long way. You get 12 full bottles of the various cleaning products and 64 loads of laundry from one bottle of concentrate. And the next time, all you have to do is buy more concentrate and you just, you know, use the same spray bottles and make what you need as you need it. So I love that they all start from the same simple concentrate. I do add a little essential oil to give each a customizable scent. I like the peppermint for my laundry, for example, or my kitchen countertop cleaner. And um, tea tree oil, for example. I like that one. It just smells like a good clean bathroom smell. Do you like tea tree oil, Sherry? I do. Yep. So I actually love Branch Basics so much that I just bought a second starter set to take to the beach. And I also got some more essential oil. So I'm going to take the set to the beach and I'm going to take some peppermint oil and some tea tree oil. So I'll have it all there as well. I need to give that a try. I love lemon in my kitchen. Oh, yeah. You could put a lemon essential oil in there. So that's the best part. Because one thing I learned when I was researching for cleanish is the word fragrance they hide everything under that term. It's basically meaningless and it could be anything. Like you don't even know. They don't have to tell you. There's a law, like a loophole for that. So if you're adding your own essential oils, you know exactly what it is. So you can get the exact what you want it to smell like. You want your kitchen to smell lemony. Boom, you can do it. It's so easy. So go to jenstevens.com slash branch basics to learn more. And there's a link for you to purchase there. And if you use the promo code cleanish at checkout, that's cleanish, C-L-E-A-N-I-S-H, you'll save 15% on the starter kit. And if you need essential oil, there's also a link on uh, lifelessonscommunity.com on the shop with us tab for uh, doTERRA. I really love their oil. Um, awesome. You know, it's good quality. I know it's a good quality. Yes. Uh-huh. So now it's time for our life lesson of the week. And this week we are going to talk about how fear of the unknown and or catastrophizing impacts our life in so many ways. Fear of the unknown, which in psychological, psychiatric circles is um, abbreviated FOTU. So there's like FOMO, fear of missing out. Fear of the unknown is FOTU. It is defined as an individual's propensity to experience fear caused by the perceived absence of information at any level of consciousness or point of processing. So if you feel intensely upset and anxious when you encounter an unknown or unfamiliar situation, you may have developed a state of mind called intolerance of uncertainty. This means uncertain circumstances feel unbearable to you. So does that sound familiar to you? Because I know I relate to this in so many ways. I'm kind of embarrassed to say I talked to you guys about having this great vacation in July. And prior to the vacation, I was starting to come up with reasons why I should cancel it and not go. And Jen knows this because I actually reached out to her. Um, And so it was really that whole experience and the outcome that made me kind of want to dive into this topic today. So uh, some backstory. I left Kansas City in 2010 and at the end of 2010, early 2011, and moved to Denver. And then in the first few years that I was there, my marriage came to an end. And um, there was a lot of, there's a lot of story there. And there were a lot of stories told about things that happened there. And they were not, well, they were quite often untrue. Um, and, and there was just a lot of rumors and, and just stuff happening that made me really uncomfortable. And at the time, I wasn't in a place that, one, I felt like I had to dispel the rumors or I wasn't strong enough to really tackle that or to try to set the story straight. And then I also got to a point where I was like, it's not my job to set the story straight. So um, there was this kind of vast unknown regarding friends and family back home in Kansas City. I didn't know what they'd been told. I didn't know what they believed. And so rather than deal with it, I just didn't deal with it for a long time. And People would ask me, my friends back home would always say, when are you coming back home? And I just kept saying, I'm not ready to do that. So I'm not ready to do that. And um, my grandma died last, about a year and a half ago. And my husband made me go home. He just scooped me up, put me in the car. I didn't have a choice. He said, you're doing this. 
And um, that really helped me in so many ways in that I did get to connect with a bunch of friends. And what I did learn was that I had these ideas in my head that it was going to be awkward or there was going to be hard feelings or there was going to be just, you know, weirdness that wasn't there. And so when one of my friends reached out to me and asked me to come this summer, I, of course, I jumped right on it. I was like, yes, yes, yes. But the closer we got to the trip and the more old friends that got pulled into the picture and it's like, oh, well, we're going to get together with this person or that person, the more I started to get anxious because I I didn't know how those situations were going to go. Was the past going to come up? Was my old marriage going to come up? Were there stories told about me that I didn't even know that were out there about me? And I got super, super nervous about it. And, you know, Jen, like I told Jen at one point, I said, maybe I shouldn't have scheduled this trip. We should just go on the beach where I could relax. And my husband even said, maybe if you're this stressed out, you shouldn't go because a vacation is supposed to be relaxing. And I thought, no, because if I don't go do this, I will never know. It's still going to be that giant void of unknown. So I went, I had a great visit. Um, I had great talks with my friends, all these things that I was like, kind of, I don't want to say afraid of, but nervous about, they were there, but they weren't there to the degree that I imagined them to be. I made them bigger than they were. And they weren't anything that couldn't be like discussed and cleared up and talked about in the course of an evening. And then like, we were able to put it behind us. And, you know, my friends actually apologized to me because they kind of were like, I had no idea. I didn't even know this was going on. So like here, they didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand why I was distant. And I created that, right? I created that distance. And we I didn't, do. it didn't ever have to be there. You know, I, there was a story that when I, when I was a, a gifted elementary teacher, there was a program called Junior Great Books that is a collection of different stories that you read with kids, and they all have different, you know, you take different things away from them. But there was a story called The Monster Who Grew Small, and it's like a folk tale. For, I can't remember what culture it's from, but it's a folk tale about a, a kid who does that same thing. He builds things up in his mind, and he's so afraid of what might happen and always the possibilities. And then at the very end, you know, he's helping this village, you know, with this terrible monster that lives in this cave. So he's like, he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go face this monster. And when he gets there, the monster is little tiny and it's cute. And it's like, <laughs> fits in his pocket. You know? <laughs> and, and he asked the monster what his name was. And the monster has this whole thing that he says, but his name was the what might happen monster. You know, so the moral of the story is, what might happen is the real monster, and then it's not really what happened. So that was a good one to to read with. I read it with third graders, and you know, gifted kids have very creative minds usually, and they, you know, the creative mind. When you have a creative mind like yours, and you you tend to you can come up with all of these ideas and possibilities. And so when I would talk to children about that, you could see them like take a sigh of relief, feel like, oh, I'm not the only one who does that. And then understanding, okay, <laughs> I don't have to imagine what's going to happen and come up with all these worst case scenarios. Yeah. And I will say that what was really, really helpful for me too was my husband gave me a safety net. The night before I left, he said, you know, I want you to know, I know you're nervous. I hope you have a great time. But if you get in a situation where you're uncomfortable and, you know, there's there's an issue or, or the friendship isn't there or, you know, you feel like you're being not treated correctly or whatever. He said, you call me and I will get in the car. I will start driving to get you. And I kind of laughed and I was like, well, I would just change my flight and come home early. <laughs> and, but it was He's nice willing to, to come get you. Yes. That, you know, I wasn't I was not stuck in that situation. I I did have an exit strategy and, you know, I had it in my mind that, okay, it could, it could be awful. It could be great. And if it's awful, I can do something about it. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's beautiful to think about that, you know, he was going to drive up there and get you. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he didn't need to, (laughs) because the plane goes both directions. Right. (laughs) But, you know, now that now that you've shared that story, you know, audience, listeners, you know, maybe that's brought to mind a scenario that you've experienced, something in your life that was uncomfortable, that, you know, the fear of the unknown made you miss out on something. Maybe you pushed through it, but maybe you backed out. We've all had those experiences where we backed out because we just didn't know, even me. 
<laughs> I'm actually going to a, a conference in early October, and it's in Arizona. I've never been to Arizona. And it's being put on by you know, a leader in the, the health field, health and wellness field, who I've never met personally. I've been on her podcast and connected with her, but I don't know anybody that's going to be there, and I'm going by myself. I know you've been having some nerves about that. Yeah, yeah. I You know, because... You're putting yourself in an unknown I'm, situation. It's an unknown situation, and I'm going to meet people who I've seen on book covers. <laughs> They're going to be there. And, you know, I've got one New York Times bestselling book where this host has four. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they might be like, oh, she's not like I thought she was going to be about me. You know, right. that whole <sighs> so I'm just doing it, though. I'm going by myself. I'm arriving a day early, and I'm staying an extra day. I've got my travel plans all worked out. The worst thing that can happen is I'll have a nice trip to Arizona, right? Right. And maybe, you know, I'll be by myself, and nobody will talk to me, and that'll be okay, too. <laughs> You'll get to see a place you've never seen before, and... I might get to meet Dr. Kabeca because I don't know if she's going, but she's been to this conference before. So I don't know. You know, I know with the pandemic, things are weird, but I'm just open to it. So it's it's hard. <laughs> it's hard for all of us. It is hard, and it's normal. Mm-hmm. And if you know, if I you know, if I had people going with me, it wouldn't be quite as. But I'm going by myself. It's always nice to have a safety net. I have no safety net and I'm going to go and it's going to be okay. So, you know, Sherry reached out to the Life Lessons Facebook community and many members admitted to struggling in this area. And again, I think we all do. We It's it's universal that we have this feeling to one degree or another, but whether you push through it or you just don't do these things, you know, it's, it's really, you know, what you have to examine in your own life. Sometimes it's okay to say no, by the way. I'm not saying you always push through. Right. Because I could have decided, you know, I just really don't want to do that. And that would have been all right as well. So Meg shared, fear of the unknown is the story of my life. I started playing clarinet and taking lessons in seventh grade. I quit in the eighth grade because I was terrified to play solo in front of my class. Then later on in high school, I dropped out of Spanish three because I did not want to have to speak Spanish in front of my classmates. I was always so self-conscious and afraid of being teased. I regret the decisions I made in the past because my daughter played clarinet in high school and went on to become a music major in college. I regret having quit because we could have played together at some point. Plus, I love music and would like to be able to play an instrument. As far as the Spanish, I would give anything to be able to converse with my daughter-in-law in her native language. She speaks English, so it's not the end of the world, but her parents live in the same town as us, and the language barrier is huge. When my granddaughters were born, it was so hard to communicate with the other abuela. I haven't conquered this difficulty in my life, but I always pushed my kids to take chances, and they have. Sometimes their willingness to take a risk is astounding. Me, I'm still a work in progress. And, you know, I want to add that it's true. We learn in in childhood. Kids are amazing risk takers until, you know, we squelch it out of them. You know, their peers might do it or or just adults in their life might. And, you know, I, I mentioned already that I taught, you know, gifted kids, and I got them in second grade, the, the most recent you know, when I when I retired, I was I would have them from second grade every year through fifth grade. And so one of the main things I had them do was learn to speak in front of a group, even in second grade. Like they we had a unit where they studied states. Like they would pick a state they wanted to learn about and they would learn all about it. And then they would make a presentation to their classmates. And it you know, you could see them sometimes like the shyest kid would work on this presentation. Then it would be time for them to give the presentation. And they would stand in front of the class and they would freeze. And they would be like, mm. I even had little girls like start crying. They didn't want to do it. And it would have been so easy as a teacher to say, okay, well, you don't have to do it today. Maybe next time you'll feel better. But that's not what we did (laughs) because I knew they could do it. And so I was like, you know what? We know you can do it and we know you're going to do it. So we're going to we're going to wait and we're going to applaud you and, you know, just tell us a few things. And Again, some of them would would cry or whatever, and I would just go stand beside them and hug them and say, "All right, I'll stand beside you, and you can do it." You know, get them. In. But they always managed to push through with the support. And after they did that first time, then they were like, "Oh, I can do that. I was ready. I can do it." And then that would that led them to, you know, to being able to go in in the future. And they felt so proud of themselves. And then they were excited to share. The ones who were the shyest were able. But you you have to have that trusted. You know, somebody right there in our classroom was a safe space, and that's important. Yeah, it is. And and pushing through is actually a really—it's a building block to overcoming fear of the unknown. 
Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, just talking about it and like and having the other kids share how afraid they were when they did it. And that, that we, yeah, everyone's nervous when you get up to speak in front of a group. Right. So fear of the unknown is known in psychological circles as xenophobia. And this is characterized by having an intolerance of uncertainty, as I said earlier. Things that can bring it about are situations which have a lack of predictability or a lack of control. Studies have shown that people who have lived through traumatic events or extreme stress in their lives are prone to developing fear of the unknown. Additionally, people who suffer with anxiety and or depression, chemical dependency, eating disorders, OCD, and hoarding disorders are shown to be more prone to suffer from fear of the unknown as well. So, I mean, all this is perfectly normal. We all do experience discomfort when thinking about new situations, obligations, or events, like if you're going to a new school or a new job, right? It's totally normal to feel a degree of nervousness about that. You don't know what you're going to be walking into. You're going to be meeting new people. You know, for those second graders, will people make fun of them or laugh at them? Are they going to say something wrong? So these are all normal thoughts. For most people, this this causes, you know, low degree of fear that is, again, like I said, normal. You might feel like you're the only person experiencing it, but you're not. So other people, though, the situation might feel like something really to be afraid of. You know, the new situation feels intolerable. You might find yourself really worrying about that event beforehand, but you can still push through and do it. But for other people, it's not that simple. It may even have like sheer dread where you are having physical symptoms, racing heart, feeling sick. You have that adrenaline dump. That's really, you know, when you know that it, it can be a problem. It can hold you back, right? Right. From, from, living, from living a life because you just get stuck in that rut. Right. Like, you, you know, Paula Dean, you know, she used to be. You know that she, like, had a whole period of her time where she didn't go out of her house? I did not know that. It's, it's part of her story. She had a period of time where she didn't leave her house, and then she finally opened a, a lunch business called The Bag Lady in Savannah. Is when she was a mom of two, two kids, and she, you know, was able to branch out and get outside of her, her fears. Huh. I don't know that much about her history, but that's commendable. Yeah. So— The big question is, how do you know if your fear of the unknown is, you know, just a normal fleeting thing that everybody suffers from now and then, or or is it holding you back in your life? And experts agree that if you frequently experience an increased heart rate in anticipation of situations and events which feel out of your control, if you frequently feel irritation or an overwhelming need to control your environment, that it's quite likely that your fears are holding you back from living your best life. Some other red flags are if you find yourself avoiding situations, avoiding schoolwork or social obligations, you know, making excuses, if you find that you're self-isolating, you know, being a homebody is one thing, but just refusing to go out or, or, you know, go to social events, that could be a red flag. If you've become extremely self-critical or find that you have inflexible thoughts and behaviors or racing thoughts, then, you know, it's time to really look at this fear and, and start to tackle it. And as Jen said, I brought this up in the Facebook group and there were so many people chimed in and said that they really suffer from this and they wanted help learning how to overcome it because they do feel like this fear of the unknown is holding them back for life. So um, Jen and I will go over just some strategies that you can work on to start overcoming these feelings so that you don't have to continue to suffer if you are. So yeah, Jen, I'll let you start. So yeah, it really is important to to push through that fear so you can form some new thought patterns when you get stuck in that rut. So sometimes our instinct might be avoid the situation completely. You know, no, you know what? I don't want to do that. I'm just going to avoid it completely. But the longer and longer you go and you remain disengaged, the harder it is to actually become engaged. So we continue to avoid uncomfortable situations to protect ourselves. But in the long run, we're doing more harm than good. So you have to find a way to re-engage or stay engaged. Don't let it get to the point where you're just completely isolated because it the more time goes by, the harder it is. So, you know, work on some techniques, learn techniques that can help reduce the fear response. It might be meditation, breathing techniques, positive thinking, tapping. I don't think we've ever talked about tapping on the show. That might be a great episode. I had someone on intermittent fasting stories who talked about it because those are are shown, I mean, not just, you know, woo-woo, they're clinically shown to reduce worry and anxiety. Also, it's suggested to question your assumptions. 
stop and ask yourself, are these feelings and beliefs logical? Are these thoughts and feelings a result of past events or are they a pattern you have adopted after surviving past difficulties in life? And do your research. So the more you know about a situation and you can create a plan for it, then the less scary the situation will seem. So it's kind of like with my trip home. I knew I had a plan that if things got really bad, that I had an exit strategy. And that gave me enough comfort to where I went into the trip really positive. At that point, I was like, okay, I have a strategy. I have an exit plan. I'm just going to focus on having a great time. They say, you know, like if maybe you're moving, you're moving to a new town, you're filled with fear and dread, stop, research your new neighborhood, research the town, look at the maps, find out where the grocery store is, kind of get familiar with the situation in advance. Um, Like find your favorite restaurants. Are they there? Can you go eat there so that you have a place that feels comfortable to you when you're there? So really like do your research and have a plan. That's important. You know, when I think about back when I used to cruise frequently before the pandemic, um, you know, cruising out of different cruise ports, for example, they're all so different. They all have different, where can you park? How do you get on the boat? What do you do? What do you need to have with you? Where do you go? And so I would do research ahead of time because it's really stressful to go on a trip. You got your family with you. You got to have all your passports and everything or you're not going to let you on. So I would really, I would go and research on like the message boards for cruises. Like, for example, Charleston is a really weird place to cruise out of and you can't carry on your bag because it can't. But I learned all that ahead of time. So I I knew what to expect and it wasn't weird. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a weird parking because that's what I read about. So really doing your homework and preparing ahead of time is such a great strategy. Yeah. Then you weren't laying in bed the night before stressing out about it. Yeah. Like, where do we park? I don't even know because I had researched it. I knew where we were going to park. And then, of course, the second time I went out of Charleston, there was didn't have the unknown because I knew what I was doing. That's why we keep, you know, coming back to those familiar favorites. It could be as simple as not trying something new on a menu, right? (laughs) Fear of the unknown. I might not like that. (laughs) Just say, what's the worst thing that can happen if I don't like that? Right. Well, you know, my husband's got really bad social anxiety and he didn't leave the house for almost a year. And he is that way. You go to a restaurant, going to a restaurant is already overwhelming to him. He doesn't even look at the menu. He just says, I'll have nachos. It doesn't matter where we are. He wants nachos because he knows what to expect. But see, that's why looking at the menu ahead of time would be a really great strategy for him. He could look. Has he done that? Has he looked at it ahead I of time? I am a menu looker beforehand. So I will sit at home before we ever go and I'll like read the menu to him. I'll be like, oh, they have this or they have that or, you know, and then sometimes he, he will, you know, venture out. And then other times he just goes tried and true nachos. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's other things you can do as well. Work to increase your self-esteem, positive affirmations, mantras, self-love, like we heard from Julie in the beginning. What was the name of that book? Let me someone scroll. Hold on. Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking. That That's one I would absolutely suggest. I haven't read that, but it sounds like a good one. And that has got the positive affirmations that you need. Also learn to accept compliments, challenge yourself, stop being critical of yourself, and be more compassionate of yourself. Talk to yourself in your head the way you would talk to someone else that you love. You know, that's one of the things. The stories we tell ourselves in our own heads are way worse than what other people are saying. And then you'll have a better ability to cope with that stress of the unknown. If you have negative thoughts or misconceptions, you look for the evidence to support or disprove your fears. You know, think about what are your strengths. Determine what your strengths and skills are, what is in your control, what's not in your control. It's okay for everything to not be in your control. That's also hard for a lot of people. You're like, you know, it'll be fine. It's all going to be fine. You know, we all say practice makes us better at things. And one of the suggestions is actually to practice putting yourself through uncertain situations as a way of learning new coping skills. Accept that these situations will occur and then determine what you can control about the situation and stop and refer to past experiences in which you are successful. So, Pull from prior successful situations, you know, remember them. We get we get fixated on and looking for the negative, and we need to stop and think of the positives. And then one of the suggestions also is to really work on improving and learning more about your emotional intelligence. So develop strategies to increase, increase your emotional intelligence through better self-management, self-awareness, social awareness, and relationship management. 
Having a better understanding of our own emotions can help us better manage them as a way to decrease fear and worry. And, you know, that's really true. Back to the gifted classroom. I don't know. It's back to school time here. So maybe I'm having like, you know, missing my classroom. (laughs) (laughs) But we had five gifted standards. And one of them was, you know, understanding yourself and how how your personality influences the interactions you have with others. That was really important. We talked about that a lot. <laughs> You're like, by the time they left in fifth grade, they were like, okay, well, I gifted standard five. We talked about that all the time. But it's really important. Like, really honestly, those five gifted standards are like life standards for people. <laughs> Understanding yourself and how your interactions with other people, or how you know, how you contribute to that. If everyone could just do that. It would be so helpful. Right. What about this is me? (laughs) All right. So here's another suggestion, and that is self-care. We had a whole podcast about that one. Um, And, you know, self-care isn't selfish, as we said in that episode. So if you take time for activities that help your physical, mental, and emotional well-being, it helps you to better cope with stressful situations. And that's why self-care is not selfish. So you want to include enough rest into your schedule, social and leisure activities that you enjoy, things that make you feel your best and allow you time to recharge. Like me, I'm getting ready to go to the beach for three weeks, and I'm going to fully recharge. I've got work to do while I'm there. Luckily, I can work from there, too. I'm going to be you know, recording from there. But I'm going to recharge and take that time for me in between the work and the visits. Also, you know, find someone you can confide in. You know, speak your fears out loud like Sherry did when Sherry was nervous about going home. What did I say to you? Did I say don't go? You know, you said think positive. You know, you don't have any indication that it's going to go bad. And and talking about your fears, I, I think, helped you reduce your anxiety about them, right? Well, because they were just spinning in my head, right? So once I verbalized them and I got them out and I talked them through with somebody— and, you know, and then I shared with my husband that I was struggling a little bit, and he gave me that backup plan. So, you know, by talking about them, I made them smaller. Exactly. Yep. The monster who grew small, right? And so, you know, your friend will challenge your fear belief because friends are good at doing that for other people. We're not always great about doing it for ourselves, right? You know, like, there's going to be a pool party at this event in October. What if they're like, wow, Jen Stevens has a lot of cellulite? <laughs> They might. They might say that. So fears. And you've seen me in a bathing suit. You'd be like, who cares, right? Right. (laughs) So if you don't have a friend or loved one that you can confide in, then, you know, maybe you need to find individual or group therapy because these things can be really cathartic to get out to talk to someone about. And that might even be better than talking to a friend, honestly, someone who is completely third-party objective. Right. And it depends on your friends. Like Jen and I are completely straight with each other, 100% all the time. But you might have a friend who's like, oh, I don't want to hurt her feelings. And they're just going to nod and okay and pat you on the head and not, or, you know, or not really saying, push you. Right, you should stay home. Don't go. Ignore right. them. They're cut them out of your life. No. <laughs> <laughs> and think about how sad that would be if you had yes. done that. So, you know, you, you might need a third party who can just tell you, you know, help you come up with some healthy coping strategies to help you re- reduce your fear of the unknown. Right. Again, knowing that it's normal to have this fear of the unknown. I mean, I think humans are wired that way, right? We yeah, the safe the safety of home. And I also just want to say if you don't have a friend that will call you on your own BS, <laughs> you need to find that friend. That's true. Everybody needs that friend. You just do. Yeah. So, I mentioned the word catastrophizing earlier. So fear of the unknown is not the same thing as catastrophizing. Um, that is a hard word to say, by the I way. I can't even say it. I was like, <laughs> I'm not saying it. Somebody typed it on the Facebook group, and they said, is that a real word? It is a real wor- word. If left unchecked, fear of the unknown can lead to catastrophizing. So if a person finds themselves constantly worrying about the unknown or imagining worst-case scenarios, then they could be suffering from a cognitive distortion called catastrophizing. So here's an example. You call your husband, he doesn't answer. You know he should be halfway home from work, but like, why is he not answering his phone? He should be in the car, right? So you call back three times each time it goes to voicemail. You leave three voicemails, each one more frantic than the prior. You are now imagining him injured or worse, maybe dead. And you are physically sick with worry. You've now called his mom to see if she's heard from him. Maybe you've called your kids and worried them as well. You turn on the news to see if there's a report of a car accident on his route. And then your husband called. 
He stopped at the store and he left his phone in the car. Everything is 100% okay. That is catastrophizing. One small thing can set off alarms in your mind and your immediate response to the situation was to head straight to the worst case scenario rather than assuming that everything was okay until you heard otherwise. I myself am guilty of doing this sometimes in regards to work. So for instance, my boss says, sends me an email and it just says, see me in my office today. You know, I used to hate those the most. My principal would do that too. She would send an email and it would say, stop by my office. I get physically sick. And I'm like, what? No, no, I don't want to stop by your office. (laughs) So I start going over every patient interaction, every case I've been involved in for the last week. And I'm trying to think back to something I might've done or said in error. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what happened? Oh my gosh, what could it be? And so for the next six hours, I'm at work and I am like, my brain is busy spinning out of control, trying to figure out why on earth I might have to see her in her office when we can finally get our schedules to sync. I think a better email would be, would you stop by my office because I'd like to talk to you about, and then exactly, just tell you what exactly. It is. So, and the, the silly part about <laughs> the part about this that's so irrational is I have never had a negative meeting with my manager. It's usually something completely minor, like it's a scheduling issue, or she wants me to weigh in and give her my quote, expert opinion on something. And it it suddenly dawned on me that I have this really bad habit of doing this. So I have really learned ways to better handle these situations. And the one way I do is I will email right back and say, may I ask what this is in regards to so that I'm prepared for our visits. So rather than going down that spiral, I just stop and try to mitigate the whole thing um, head on. Yeah, that that's I think we all do that to a degree, you know, imagining the worst case scenario, right? <laughs> yes. So research has shown that the catalyst for cuz I can't say it. Say the word catastrophizing? Yeah, catastrophizing. I can't say it. catastrophizing. I'll say it three times fast. Catastrophizing. Catast- okay. <laughs> Research <laughs> has shown that the catalyst for catastrophizing falls into three main categories, ambiguity, value, and fear. So ambiguity is when someone is vague and it's open-ended. And so you can just imagine, like when Sherry got the see me in the office email, like my, my principal used to always right. do. It's very ambiguous. You have no idea what that's about. So you're, you know, we try to make sense of things in our mind. So you are immediately trying to make sense of why did she why? want to see me in her office? What happened? What, what, you know, that's just, that's just normal because we want to know, we want the information. So that's very typical. So if you're a boss, don't give your work, don't do, <laughs> use ambiguous messaging. Yeah, stop that. <laughs> <laughs> or like, like, you know, to your husband, don't say, we need to talk. Oh yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. No, don't do that. It might be something very simple, but, you know, as a communicator, try to avoid communicating in an ambiguous method with people that you're coming in contact with because you're making them catastrophize. Did I say it right? (laughs) So, you know, value is the second category. And that, you know, of course, if, if someone or something that you hold in high regard so for like your boss, maybe your boss is someone you you value her opinion of you. You hold the relationship in high regard. So you're afraid to like disappoint her. And so you don't want to be something bad or like your spouse or anything important that you don't want to lose. So you start going down that worst case scenario like, oh, my husband didn't call me back. Maybe he's having an affair, right? Right. When really you have no indication that that's ever what's happening, but you start imagining the worst case scenario because you don't want to lose that relationship. So fear also plays a big role. So for example, if you fear going to the doctor because you're nervous about that, and I have to honestly admit, I have always had this problem since I was little, going to the doctor. I don't know, but when I was little, I don't know if my mother made me scared of going to the doctor, but I would like anything to avoid going to the doctor because I was just always afraid that what they were going to do to me at the doctor. I don't know. But you start you know, worrying, what's the doctor going to find? What are they going to tell you? You don't want to go to a checkup because it could just be you know, super scary. They might give you that green medicine that tastes bad. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, my parents had to hold me down to make me take that green medicine. Oh, my gosh. I was not. I was like, I mean, literally, like they, I would like fight them. I can remember. <laughs> do you ever have to do that? I uh, know. No. Mm-mm. no. <laughs> my dogs. 
Well, that was me. Oh, by the way, you know how last time I told you Ringo was diabetic and you were going to have to... It is so easy to give a cat an insulin shot. He doesn't even notice. Oh, good. So easy. Perfect. See, there I was. Stressing out about it. Fear, stressed out about it. Fear, it's going to be terrible. Ringo's going to freak out and bite me every time and claw me up. Nope. I just give it to him while he's doing something else. This morning while I was feeding him, it just bloop, doesn't even notice. And then at night he was laying, he likes to lay behind the TV. I don't know why. So he was laying behind the TV and I just walked over, bloop, didn't even, but but the fear, I was so worried about that. Like, I don't want to give him shots. What if we just ignore it and pretend like we don't even know he has diabetes? But instead it was nothing. So many of the tips for managing catastrophizing are similar to tips for conquering the fear of the unknown that we shared earlier. However, there are a few extra ones for those who are stuck in a loop of fearing the worst case scenario. One of them is to actually say the word stop out loud. You can also say no more. Stop no more. Stop that stream of negative thoughts by verbally interrupting it. And I know it sounds silly, but it really does take your your focus off what's going on in your mind. Anytime there's a verbal interruption, first of all, you have to think of those words, right? And if you're now thinking of those words, you can't be thinking of a worst case scenario. So stop that stream of negative thoughts. And after you've stopped it, think of positive outcomes rather than negative ones. It's a process that you just repeat again and again until you've trained yourself to start looking for positive outcomes rather than negative ones. And it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes bad things do happen, but that good things happen too. And and you need to really focus on the good. Again, if you find that you're not able to redirect your thoughts and you are not able to lead a productive and healthy life because of it, then it really is time to seek the help of a mental health professional because left unchecked, it can lead to depression, worsening anxiety, and panic disorders. So we have a great share from a listener who was able to conquer one of her fears that was holding her back. Robin from Detroit shared, I've always wanted to be an actor. There was a time in my life that I was afraid that I was not fit or thin enough to make an appointment with an agent. I was eventually able to put that fear aside. A friend of mine was working in IT at a local talent agency, and he told me about open auditions, and I made myself an appointment. The agent told me I had a great look, and she could keep me busy full time. I regret not doing it sooner. I'm happy to say that I've been in many local commercials and even on some billboards around Metro Detroit. My next goal is to get an agent in Chicago and be in a national commercial. For me, mindset is everything to me. Feeling the fear and doing something anyway is a great way to grow. So everybody, the takeaway is it is never too late to stop letting your fears control your life. You really can start to overcome this today. Do one thing that pushes you out of your comfort zone today. One thing. It might be little. (laughs) Well, that that was great. Now, before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, We want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast, and I want to talk about Dry Farm Wines because I love them. So I've shared this before, but as I've gotten older and gone through menopause, my body really does respond differently to alcohol. You know, I learned that I was a slow alcohol metabolizer, but I've also since then learned that that actually that slows down for everyone as we get older. Our body is not able to metabolize alcohol as as quickly as it did when we were young. So I do need to drink less frequently, and quality matters more than ever, which is why I have switched completely to dry farm wines. It is all I drink at home now. Um, And most wines today are mass-produced. They contain high levels of sugar, high levels of alcohol, and they have 76 different FDA-approved additives. And They don't even have ingredients labels I know. I mean, I want to be able to read an ingredient label and know what's in it, like especially doing the research for cleanish. Like it could be anything. Like why do these, you know, red wines make your teeth so red? Hmm. Natural red wines don't do that to you. (laughs) So what are they putting in there? So Dry Farm Wine, um, they don't make the wine. They source the wine. And they have very strict criteria when it comes to um, the wines that they they will sell to you. And their wines have to be farmed and produced in you know very strict criteria. So if you want to learn more about it, you can listen to episode 114 of the Intermittent Fasting Stories podcast, where I interview the founder of Dry Farm Wines, Todd White. So Sherry and I are thrilled that they're partnering up with us here for the Life Lessons podcast. And if you go to dryfarmwines.com slash life lessons, you'll get an additional bottle for just one penny in your first shipment. Make sure to go through that link 
dryfarmwines.com slash life lessons to get the penny bottle with your first order. You can get just one shipment and try it out, or you can sign up for regular shipments at an interval that works best for you. It's easy to skip or add extra shipments at any time. And every purchase you make helps support the Life Lessons podcast. And I just want to say real quick, for the longest time I couldn't, well, I didn't think I could order dry farm wines in Alabama because it said it didn't ship to your house. However, I just had a shipment sent to the local ABC store, which is our alcohol store here in Alabama. I think it, I don't even know what it stands for. Alcoholic Beverage Commission. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just shipped there by UPS. I went this morning. I, I got a notice saying it was delivered. I went and picked it up. It was super easy. And I have some dry farm wines at my house now. So awesome. I made it more complicated than it really was. Yeah. So next, we have a segment we call our listener-led lesson. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Jade. She says, if you have a pet that tends to get up on your beds, or if you have a spare room in case of sudden unexpected guests, buy a fitted sheet a size bigger than your bed and put it over the top of the made-up bed. Then at bedtime, or if someone suddenly needs a bed, you can whip off the sheet, complete with the pet hair and the dust, and have a pristine bed ready to get in. This way, you're always ready for guests and don't have to make up the bed last minute. And Lori shares that her cat likes to sit on their outdoor couch, so she covers the cushions with a bed sheet, and then she can take it off when there are guests and the couch is clean and free of fur. I do the same thing in my living room, Lori, with I have some throws on navy blue love seats. I have two navy blue love seats, which are beautiful. Never buy navy blue love seats. <laughs> if you have they show all uh, the dust and fur. orange-haired cats, and Lucy just lays there like she's a pillow on the, on the <laughs> couch. <laughs> and I just whip off those throws and boom, clean couch. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Jenna Beth. The quote is, there will be many things in life that you won't have control over. They will cripple you, hurt you, break you into pieces, but they will also build your character, change you completely as a person. So when you encounter them, don't fear them. Welcome them as opportunities to grow to be a better version of you. You will be hurt, but in the same process, you will learn how to find a stronger you. Absolutely. That's a great quote. So everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. Make sure to join the Facebook community for the podcast. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast through whatever podcast app you prefer. And we would love for you to leave a review on iTunes. That helps us reach others. Oh, Sherry, you know how I don't like to listen, how to read reviews? You know how I don't like to read reviews just for anything? I don't like to read my book reviews. Yes. I don't like to read podcast reviews because the negative ones hurt my feelings. Uh-huh. Well, you've now signed us up for Chartable. Well, now they send them to the email. <laughs> so oh, this you morning, get them now? Yes, oh. because they're coming to the Connect. You signed them up, so I got one today. And I'm like, now I'm going to have to read the reviews that come to the email. But it was a good one, so that was okay. <laughs> It was a five-star review, and it made me smile, but I'll have to look away from I didn't those. know that they were going to send us reviews. I just they wanted do. to see where we were ranking on the charts. <laughs> right. Because I always have to text Jen and be like, Jen, where are we at? What, yeah, how did we do? Yeah. So now they send me an update. They let you know. That's yeah. so funny. Anyway, I, I like to read, you know, I like positive feedback, but the negative feedback hurts my feelings, so I don't read them. Anyway, <laughs> leave leave us a positive review. We if would it's love negative, it. I, I won't read it, but I read <laughs> them and feelings. it makes my Sherry day. does. Yeah, the positive ones. And the yes, good ones so. I send to Jen. She does. She does send them to me. Um, Do you have a story for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you want to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.